What a wonderful name. What a powerful name. What a beautiful name. I'm coming up here this morning preaching, and I'm just telling my soul, Jameson, no matter what you do today, show them Jesus. Show them Christ. And so at the end of today, I pray that you see Jesus. <laughs> they see Jesus is beautiful. Um, if you're kind of tuning in with us again, um, maybe you've been away for a while. Um, we are working through uh, what we call our Marks and Measures series. And really, we're looking at the question, what does it mean or what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, okay, a follower of Jesus Christ here at Convergent Church? What are we shooting for? What are we aiming for? What kind of people do we want to be? And so today, we're going to be in the book of Philippians, chapter 3. And we're primarily going to be looking at verses 12 through 14, but we will be taking a look at some of the earlier verses in this chapter. But the text reads like this. Now this is Paul. He's writing to the Philippian church and he says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Today we're going to be looking at the mark of growth. What does it mean for your life to be marked by growth in Christ-likeness? And, and the way we say that is this, disciples of Christ at Convergent Church should be growing individuals, lifelong learners in the school of Christ, lifelong learners in the school of Christ. Now, there are many analogies and metaphors or, or maybe pictures used in the Bible that show us what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Scripture says we are like a farmer sowing the good seed of the gospel in the ground of the world. It says we are like a student in the schoolhouse of faith of whom the teacher and master is Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us we are like a soldier fighting the good fight of faith and putting on Jesus as our armor and taking up his word as our sword. Scripture says we are like branches connected to and rooted in the vine that is Christ, pulling from him and, and asking of him everything we need day by day for life and godliness. Scripture says we're like a bride, that we are the treasure, the apple of Christ's eye, the object of his love and affection, the affection of our devoted groom, Jesus. And, and today, we are looking at one of my favorite metaphors in all of Scripture, we see that Paul says we are like an athlete. We are like runners who are running in a race, running for a prize, running on Team Jesus with Christ 
out in front of us, cheering us on and leading the way for us. Now, I can identify with some of these metaphors, but others, I can't. I don't know what it's like to be a soldier. I have no idea what it's like to be battling in combat every day for my life and the life of my friends. I have no idea what it feels like to be a farmer sowing seed from sun up to sundown, and I certainly have no idea what it feels like to be a bride. Some of you do. I have no idea what it feels like to be a bride. But I do know what it feels like and what it looks like to be an athlete, to be a runner. I get that, and most of us know what that looks like and feels like and smells like. We know the stink and the smell of a sweaty training day. We know the push and the exhaustion of working to our fullest, of running a race set before us in hopes of crossing the finish line well and and receiving the accolades and the prizes that are at the end. But the one common denominator of all good athletes is that they all started somewhere. Every athlete started as an amateur. They began by assessing their strengths and their weaknesses, and they had to be honest about their ability before they could begin. So the first thing I want us to do today is we look at uh, verse 12. I want us to make an honest self-assessment trusting in Christ, making an honest self-assessment, trusting in Christ. In verse 12, Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul begins this portion of the text today with a sobering claim. He says, I am not and I have not obtained this or am already perfect. Paul is claiming that there's something he has not yet obtained or taken hold of. And for us to put this sentence in its proper context, we have to look back a little bit to verse 10. What is it that Paul wants to obtain? What is the perfection that Paul wants to get to? What is he trying to lay hold of? He says this in verse 10. That I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, Becoming like him in his death, if that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul starts with saying, look, I haven't achieved perfection. There are things he has and has not achieved in his Christian race. He's not yet come to the point of becoming so much like Jesus that he has the the full power of Christ's resurrection. He hasn't come to the full sacrificial character of the death of Jesus on the cross. Paul hasn't been emptied of everything in him that isn't like Christ. He hasn't been fully molded into the character of his Savior. He hasn't obtained his final resurrection from which he will be made perfect like Christ. Paul was not where he wanted to be. And he wasn't yet who he wanted to be. And my friends, this is Paul 
For many of you who are are familiar with Scripture, many of us could, could make a strong claim that Paul was the greatest Christian that ever walked the face of the earth. Not the greatest man, that's Jesus, but the greatest Christian, the greatest person in Christ who has ever lived. And if and if Paul can say, Look, I'm not perfect, guys. I haven't arrived at the perfection of being like Christ. How much more is that true for Jameson? How much more is that true for you? How much more is it true that that we are not where we want to be or, or ought to be in our development as disciples of Christ? There's so much more of Christ that needs to be made visible and evident in my life. And Chelsea will give a hearty amen to that. There's so many ways in which I need to grow up into the maturity that is Jesus. So much more to do and fulfill and experience and and to realize before I am conformed to the perfection that is my Savior, Jesus. We should all make an honest self-evaluation asking, where am I really? Where am I really? on my walk with Jesus Christ. We all have growth to experience. And, and Paul, who, who I believe was the greatest Christian, whose Christ-like character far surpassed mine and, and likely surpassed yours, at one point in Paul's life, Paul honestly did believe that he was perfect. Paul honestly believed that he had no more growth to be attained and that he was perfect in righteousness. Read with me uh, chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Paul says this, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. This was Paul's assessment of himself. And you might not know what all that technical jargon is, but Paul's saying this, look, I've got it done. I've checked every box. I have no more growth to make. I am perfect. According to God's law, I am blameless in everything I do. Before knowing Jesus, Paul was able to check every single box. Paul had the perfect pedigree. When Paul looked in the mirror, he saw no blemish. But read with me what he says in verses 7 and 8. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted all as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul has now come to realize and count all of that as worthless, filthy rags before the righteousness and holiness and perfection that is Jesus. He says, look, I've laid all of that check mark 
all those, all the checking the boxes, my perfect pedigree, I've laid all of that aside to now pursue this goal, being like this man, Jesus. I want to know him. Knowing him is of surpassing worth to me. My friends, our self-assessment must not be measured by any other standard than I want to become fully like Jesus. Jesus is the standard. Jesus is the one perfect measure. Let's do away with all measures of perfection that do not find their root in the characters and the commands of Christ. If you are measuring yourself by anything other than Jesus' standard, throw it away. It doesn't matter. Jesus is of surpassing worth. Paul says, I'm not perfect, but I press on to make it my own. And his understanding that there was so much distance between him and Jesus, so much ground to be gained in becoming like Jesus, caused him to make a great and, and strenuous effort to run harder and faster and to not lag further and further behind as he did when he was a Pharisee. Paul believed he was perfect. He believed he was up here in his righteousness, but when he met Christ, he realized that his righteousness was nothing. He realized he was so far behind Christ. But he didn't let that stop him. Brothers and sisters, I'm preaching to you right now to become more like Christ. And we can all be so tempted to, to look at that gap between who we are and who God wants us to be or calls us to be. And we can shrink back from that challenge. Has anyone thought in the past or maybe even while I'm preaching right now, has anyone thought, well, what's the point I'll never be fully like Jesus in this life. The Bible says so. The Bible says I'll always have growth to make and, and, and more things to improve upon until I go to be with Jesus. What's the point? I'll never be like him, so why try? We see the progress we have yet to make, and we often defeat ourselves before we begin. We don't start because the gap is too big. But Paul didn't look at that gap between himself and Jesus and say, I'll never make it. He said, in Jesus' name and in Jesus' power and in the resurrection of Christ, I'm going to close that gap by any means necessary. And here is the crux of my entire sermon. If you take one thing away today, take this away. If you miss this, you will miss the entire point. He says this, I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I press on because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul says, the reason I'm running isn't because I wanted to run. The reason I'm running is because Jesus ran at me. <laughs> Jesus ran after me. He now runs to lay hold of Jesus because Jesus laid hold of Paul. He wants to make Jesus his own because Jesus made Paul his own. Paul wasn't looking for Jesus on that Damascus road. Most of us know the story of Paul's conversion. Paul was, Paul was zealously persecuting the church. Paul was running one way, <laughs> and Jesus came and ran smack dab into Paul and said, You're running 
this way now. He said, you're running on Team Jesus now. Paul, he says, that's why I'm running. I'm, I'm being sanctified because I belong to someone else now. I'm running headlong into the future because I know that all I have been, all of my filthy rags, and all that I will be is in the hands of Jesus. He has made me his own. And what confidence this should bring to us, church. What confidence, brothers and sisters, we should have. Now, we may have not gotten knocked off a donkey and blinded and made to wander a city at our conversion, but it doesn't make the fact that we are in Christ, that we belong to Christ, any less miraculous. The truth is, we were all running one way. We were all running against the will and against the plan of God. We were all seeking our own way. And Christ Jesus came to us and said, no, no brother, no sister. You're running with me now. Christ died for you. He, spent his, he sent his spirit to save you. By his own desire and his own will, Christ Jesus has made you his own. If you are in Christ, you belong to Jesus. So when you look at the gap between who you are and the person God wants you to be, realize you are growing in the hands of Christ. You are not running on your own. You are held by Christ Jesus. And so our first step is to make an honest self-assessment based on the standard of Jesus, trusting in this one thing that Christ Jesus has made us his own. Let's move to verse 13. Paul says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Our second step, after we've made an honest self-assessment, is to cultivate, which means grow or tend to, cultivate a resolve to pursue Christ always. Cultivate a resolve to pursue Christ always. Paul's reiterating how far he has to go, lest he forget and lest we forget. And he says, but one thing I do, Paul has a singular focus. He says, one thing I do, not three things, not five things, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Now let's just stop there and talk about that for a minute. Why does Paul make this effort to forget what lies behind him? Why does Paul make an effort to forget what lies behind him? Well, Paul stated earlier and in, in, in It'd be safe for us to assume that he's forgetting his old, seemingly righteous life as a Pharisee. He's, he's doing away with that. But what else might Paul be forgetting? Maybe past sins? His persecution and imprisonment and jailing of God's people? Maybe past mistakes, past failures he didn't mean to make but he fell into? Maybe past hurts, things that had been done to Paul. 
Maybe past betrayals, the betrayals of friends, maybe even family. Or for Paul, certainly church members who turned against Paul and hurt him. Paul says, look, I'm forgetting what lies behind me. I'm not going to let my focus be focused on yesterday's problems. But what about positive things? It's my experience that yesterday's blessings and accomplishments, yesterday's glories, can actually be a bigger stumbling block to our growth in Christ than our failures and hurts. Yesterday's victories can be a stumbling block. He says, forgetting what lies behind, putting it out of our minds, both past grace and past sins, past failures, and past accomplishments. Both can be serious obstacles to what God wants to change in your life today. Because when we focus on our failures, when we focus on everything we've screwed up in the past, it destroys our confidence in Christ because our focus is how well we did yesterday as opposed to how well Christ did on the cross in our place. When we focus on our failures, we take our eyes off of Christ and we can't see his plans for tomorrow because we only see the devastation of yesterday. And we base our future potential on yesterday's problems. I know a man who started a church and he could, just, he could never let go of what happened to him at a previous church. He had suffered a deep betrayal by, by a former church board, and I don't want to minimize that because it was a hurtful experience. But I watched him, and he could have had a great ministry, but he was consumed by his fear of being betrayed and hurt again. And what happened was he had an inability to trust others. He, he had an inability to form teams. It was just agonizing for him to give away leadership. So he built a church based on his ability alone and his personality alone and his ideas alone, and he died. And the church fell apart with him because he was not able to let go of yesterday's hurts. But likewise, we may base tomorrow's workload on yesterday's accomplishments, we may severely underestimate how far we still need to go based on how well we progressed yesterday. We do what we call resting on our laurels. Does anybody know what that means to rest on your laurels? In ancient Greece, great athletes were given wreaths, laurels they called them, to symbolize their great victories. To rest on your laurels means to look at the growth and glory and accomplishments of yesterday and make no further effort to grow today. To say, you know, I did such a great job yesterday and never to look forward to today's challenges. And here's the thing, we've all met someone like this. We've all met someone who rests on their laurels. You know, the 50-year-old guy who's still telling you how great a tight end he was in high school, Right? <laughs> Your creepy uncle who still boasts whenever he can fit into his letterman jacket, right? We've met these people. They look at what the glory of the past and they focus on that and they do not see the glory that Christ has for the future. My friends, we can become 
the spiritual Christian equivalent of that. We can boast that we can still fit into our letterman jacket. Do you know what Jesus said to people who do that? This is a strong statement. Jesus said of people who do that, he said this in Luke 9.62, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. No one who begins their walk with Christ and wants to go back to yesterday's glories, yesterday's life, yesterday's accomplishments isn't fit to serve me. That's not me. That's Jesus saying that. That should shake us up a little bit. Some of us rest on our laurels because we don't have a working and growing concept of who we are and who Christ is. We've, we've maybe had a taste of Jesus. Maybe we've been in the church for most of our life and we had a, we've had a taste of Jesus, but our knowledge of who he is and the miracle of his grace in our lives, it's, it's not increasing. We're, we're a mile wide and an inch deep, and so we remain content with where we're at. Because Christ isn't be, he's not being seen as more glorious and more wonderful and more joy-giving and more satisfying than he was the day before. My friends, is your vision and understanding and worship of Jesus growing? Are you seeing him as more worthy, more beautiful, are you delighting more in him? Or has your growth been stunted? Is your growth in Christ anemic? Is it lacking life and vigor and wonder? Or maybe you're overestimating how far you've come and underestimating how much higher above all of us Christ Jesus is. John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. But Paul's strategy isn't just to forget. Okay, It's not just to forget. There's more that Paul does to keep pushing, to keep growing, to keep becoming more like Jesus. He says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Many of you have watched a race. What happens when a runner is running and he looks back to see who's behind him? He slows down. He slows down. He doesn't focus on the goal. And oftentimes he turns around and he sees, oh, this person is right on my heels. And he tries to recover and run, but the person behind him's already passed him. And he's lost the race. But what happens when the runner has a singular focus on finishing the race well? He's not thinking about who's coming up behind him. He's not thinking about that turn he took too wide. He's not thinking about the fact that he slipped off the starting line. He's going for gold. His performance and his eventual growth will be that much more astounding if he looks forward and not backward. So much of our outlook and worldview today is based on how poorly we did yesterday and not on what God can do in our lives right now. And I'm so guilty of that. Lord Jesus, help me. I'm so guilty of that. I look at how 
terrible and lazy and frustrated and bitter and unholy and unrighteous Jameson was. And I put my faith in my accomplishments and not on the overcoming, overwhelming grace of God in my life for tomorrow. Look what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. He said this, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. That's a sobering statement for preachers, and I feel that right now. He says, look, no one runs a race to lose. No one starts a race with that kind of attitude. No one runs a race looking back to the starting line. We, we run to win. We do what's necessary, even though it may be hard. And we practice self-control to constrain our bodies and our minds and our souls into what we desire them to be. Winners in the race of faith. We don't run as though everyone gets a gold medal. We don't bank on getting a participation prize. But strain forward as if though there's only one winner. Now there's not. All those who run the race of faith with Christ as their goal and with Christ as their strength, we trust and believe that God will get us there miraculously. But Paul says, run in your mind and in your heart and in your soul as if there is only one winner. It's the picture of a mountain climber who's just inches from the summit and he's contorting his body and, and reaching for that last handhold that will bring him to the mountaintop. And, and Paul says on top of that mountain is the greatest possible prize, the most miraculous and satisfying and joy-bringing person who has ever lived, standing there on the mountaintop as my prize, as my gold medal, will be the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he says. He says, what do we win? We win Jesus. But we must run the race of life, growing in being more like him. Church, your greatest prize for running the race will be more and more and more and more of Jesus, both in this life and certainly in the life to come. More peace, more patience, more long-suffering, more joy, more holiness, more kindness, more self-control, more love, a deeper knowledge of who Christ is, greater fellowship with his people, the church. And we could go on and on about all we stand to gain in Christ. The manifold blessings that we can lay hold of if we but run in faith, leaving all of our effort on the track. Let's move to our last point. Paul says in verse 14, I press on towards the goal 
for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We're going to make an honest self-assessment. We're going to cultivate we're going to cultivate a resolve to pursue Christ always. And lastly, we're going to keep our eyes on the prize. We're going to run for the right reasons. We're going to run to gain Jesus. That's what Paul means when he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, look, I've got this singular focus. I'm not running for anyone or anything else. All I want is to reach this goal, to lay hold of this prize, this person, this Jesus. And when I die or he calls me upward, I want to be found running at an all-out sprint I want to be running as fast as I can that I might know him and be made like him in my spiritual life, in my home, in my marriage, in my parenting, at my job, in my friendships, everything. I'm using all of it to be molded into the image of Christ. I'm always training. I don't take days off from this pursuit. You might skip leg day. Don't skip growth in Christ day because it's every day. There's no rest days in the gym of Jesus. We don't take recovery days because even our resting in Christ is growing in Christ. Paul says, I'm not going to list into heaven. He isn't going to stumble into eternity. And if he's stumbling across the finish line, it's going to be because he exerted every bit of energy he has and is falling headlong across that line into eternal joy and into the waiting arms of Jesus Christ. The prize is not, I get eternal life. The prize is not, I get heaven. The prize is not, no more pain. The prize is not, no more sorrow. And the prize certainly is, and I get to go see Aunt Susie in heaven. The prize is this. I get Jesus. The one for whom my heart longs. The one I ran towards, the one who ran after me, the one who chased me down, the one who pursued me first, and the one I always awaited as my joy and crown. He's my laurel. He's my reward. He's my portion. He's my gold medal. And, and, and one thing standing at the end of the race, I get him. I get him, church. And I'm running because nothing and no one else can satisfy me but Jesus. I get Jesus. Now, I'm preaching to you here. Here's the thing. I don't always feel this way every day. I don't always feel like Jesus is that great of a prize. That is why we need so much more growth. We need to keep pushing. Keep trying. Keep failing in the school of Christ. Hear me, church. Keep failing. The Christian walk is not about success all the time. I was reading a blog earlier this week, and the man who wrote it said, look, the Christian mark of maturity is not that you always get the goal. The aim, or the, 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 the mark is not that you always are killing it, and you're the best Christian ever. The, the, the mark is not that you're always okay, but he said this, the mark of maturity is what you do when you're not okay. The mark of maturity is what you do when you're not okay. Do you run harder for Jesus? Do you rest in him? Do you run to him?
Do you pray that God would make him your joy and your crown and help you and give you strength to pursue him? I want to ask a few questions as we close today. My first question is this. Are you running the race of faith? Are you running? In other words, are you in the race? It's possible to not be in the race. Are you saved? Are you saved? Have you placed your hope in Jesus Christ that that He is the only person who can offer forgiveness for your sins, that He died on a cross to save you and to satisfy God's wrath for your sins, that He rose from the grave, that you might have eternal life with Him? Are you saved? Are you in the race? Heaven is not promised to everyone. It's not a place that everyone gets to go. Not everyone has eternal satisfaction in Jesus. And if you're not trusting in the work of Jesus on the cross, I ask you to do this. Repent of your sins today, right now. And ask God to forgive you of those sins. Trust that Jesus died for those sins and can save you, make you righteous, and put you in the race. You have to be in the race. My second question is this. If you're in the race, when's the last time you took an honest look at your spiritual state? Honest. Not self-depreciating. Not overestimating. But an honest look at your spiritual state. Are you being sober-minded in your judgments about yourself? Here's a better question. Are you asking others to tell you honestly what they see? about your spiritual growth, your friends, your family, your spouse? Are you asking for feedback? Next question, are you cultivating a resolve to pursue Jesus, to run harder after Jesus? I've looked at myself for the last couple years and and I've lost weight and many of us have gained strides in transforming our physical bodies, but our spirits remain weak and malnourished. What are we doing to light a fire in our own heart for an all-out sprint to the finish line? Are you letting your past define your tomorrow? Are you resting on past accomplishments? Are you straining forward for the prize? And my last question is this. Are you running for the right reasons? Are you running for the right prize? Are you running that you might know Jesus in the power of his resurrection, being conformed to his death, being made like him, and ultimately gaining him as your prize? Church, as Christians, if we run to gain anything else in this life other than Jesus, if we try to find our satisfaction in anything other than Jesus, if we try to be someone other than Jesus, we will be left empty and hollow and dissatisfied. Are you running to gain the prize towards the goal for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? I pray that all of us would run harder. And I also pray that those of us who are struggling to run, as we all do, that we would rally around one another. That we wouldn't run alone, but we would run as a team with Jesus out in front of us pointing the way. And that we would say, brother and sister, I'll slow down if it means you run with me. I'll run with you. Let's do it together, church. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you that you put us in the race. Lord, we were running one way, and you came to us, and you told us that we're running for you now. And Lord, we're so thankful that we are. Lord, we're thankful for every victory. Lord, we're thankful for every failure because we know that it is making us into your image. But Lord, we want to run harder. And we want to run faster. We want to run with you and after you, Lord. Lord Jesus, please be near to us. Send your spirit. Give us grace. Lord, give us grace to be open. To say, I haven't been running my best or I've been struggling to run, or I don't know how to run, I don't know what the next step is. And Lord, help us to rally around one another, that none of us would ever see ourselves as too great to run with another person, or too great for someone to point out our flaws. But we want to be like you. And though we know it's going to hurt, and it's going to take time, and it's going to sweat, it's not always going to be pleasant, but Lord, we stand to gain the most amazing, immaculate, awe-inspiring goal, the prize that is you. Lord, give us more of you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.